I'd like you to turn uh, in your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. Usually no one has a problem hearing me, but my voice is uh, shot from preaching and yelling and singing for a whole week. So, mainly yelling at James, but, so, yeah, it was his fault. We should have took his car. All right, anyhow, sorry, inside information here. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Now, all things are from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The Lord will bless the reading of His Word again this morning. Uh, Let's just open in prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, this morning I'm tired, Um, I'm weak, (laughs) Uh, I am inadequate uh, to deliver your message this morning, and yet here I am. Um, So I would pray this morning uh, that the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ would be displayed, Um, and you speaking uh, in and through me this morning. As I open my mouth, I pray that you would fill it so that uh, you would be glorified in this place this morning. We ask these things in accordance to your will with much thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This is the first of a a three-week series. Um, What we're going to be looking at uh, today is what is the gospel. Uh, Next week, hopefully, we're going to look at why. And then the following week, we're going to look at how. So it's kind of where we're going over these next few weeks. Um, It's been a lot of of prayer and a lot of um, kind of meditation here. It kind of brought me to this this portion as far as what is the gospel. Um, I'd like you to just take a moment and um, either think of your very best friend. Okay? Um, Someone that knows you better than anyone else. Uh, It could be maybe a spouse, or it could just be someone that you're really good friends with. Um, 
And I want you to imagine um, that you and your friend um, get into a fight, an argument. Um, That good relationship uh, that was once enjoyed um, has now uh, been strained to the point of actually breaking. You actually... Stop talking to that person. This is the person that you would hang out with, the person that you would enjoy a meal with, laugh together. Uh, The relationship is so strained now that you have actually stopped talking to this person. The reason is is because communication to you is just too awkward at this point. There's just been too much time, too many thoughts and hurt feelings over this time that There's no way that you could ever talk to this person again. You guys actually have become completely um, estranged from one another. In fact, gradually and over time, you guys have actually become strangers. Where one time you were best friends, you are now strangers. You would see each other in the supermarket or see each other you know, out in public, and you won't even look at each other. You won't even um, have communication with each other. I want you to try to picture that. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Okay? Even if not, I think, I think we can try to picture it, right? We can try to imagine how difficult that would be. And I want you to think that this is, This will help us understand what reconciliation is. You see, because that relationship that I just tried to describe to you, that relationship that you're trying to picture in your mind, right, it can only, it can only be reversed by reconciliation. That's the only thing that's possible, right? And so Paul here is is, is saying this to the church there in Corinth. He's saying, listen, this is what happened with you and God. There was something there that was perfect. There was a relationship there. And because of sin, right, you have actually not just become strangers uh, with God who loved you, um, but you have not actually become enemies. Um, And the only hope for that relationship, right, is reconciliation, right? The only way that that can be reversed is through reconciliation. And here, that's what Paul's talking about. And I, and I want to try to just, if we can today, when we think about the cross, right, when we think about the good news of Jesus Christ, at least in this portion here, I think that there's two aspects of it. Right? The cross restores. Right? Because that's, that's what recon, reconciliation is, is that it's that which restores a relationship back to where there's harmony again. Okay? There was enmity, there was this awkwardness, there was this estrangement, and reconciliation actually restores that relationship so that now there's harmony again. And so one aspect that we see here is that the cross restores, right? But not only that, what we see here is the cross also readies. I want to try to unfold both of those if we can uh, this morning. As we think of what the gospel is, when I think about God reconciling himself 
or reconciling us to himself, right? Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, God provided a way to restore that relationship. I couldn't help but, um, as I was meditating think on this, is three things, at least me personally in my own life, um, that as I've gone back to consider again the gospel and to consider what the cross did for me is, the first one I thought of was this, is that God thought of me. I don't know if you've ever really, really thought about that or considered that, is the fact that I was a stranger, right? I was completely alienated from God, an enemy of God, and yet um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says that God chose me according to the foreknowledge of Him. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now listen, I know these are big words, foreknowledge, and I'm not going into the sovereignty of God today. Okay? The reason why these verses are mine is, you know what? When you think that God chose you, right, according to his foreknowledge, you know what that means to me? It means that God was on your mind. I mean that you were on God's mind. Before the foundation of the world was laid, God thought of me. I was on God's mind. Like he, he thought of me. Maybe David thought this too. In uh, Psalm 139, David says this. He says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. It's not that God just thought of you. God has always been thinking of you. God is always thinking of you. I was at camp uh, this week, and some of my family stayed home. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think about them. But I can honestly tell you that there were moments that I didn't think about them. Like in those moments, there were times where I wasn't thinking of them, right? But with God, you were and are always on his mind. God thought of you. But not only that, right? God didn't just um, thought of you, right? But God sought you, right? God, God actually just didn't think about you, but He saw you, right? And what I mean by that is not just that He saw you, but but God actually saw what you needed. Like He saw, oh man, there's a huge need right here. There, there's a disconnect here. There's a need for restoration. God saw that. In fact, I love the hymn there, right? Um, where it says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. Right? Jesus actually sought us. Right? He sought me. There's a portion there in Genesis, right? You remember, um, you have Abraham and Sarah, and they're, they're promised a child, and um, time goes by, and, and Sarah uh, and Abraham take matters into their own hands. 
And Sarah says, hey, listen, you know, God has promised a child. We're kind of old. We can't have children. How about you sleep with my maidservant? And that's how God will give us a child. The Bible says, in scary words, Abraham heeded the voice of his wife. In that case, that was not a good idea. There are other times where we do heed the voice of our wives. But in that case there, he did, and unfortunately, uh, it was not part of God's plan. Ishmael was born, and there's a scene where after the baby's born, Sarah, right, she's a little envious, she's a little jealous, and she kicks Hagar out, sends her out into the desert, right? This wasn't Hagar's fault, right? This was Abraham and Sarah's idea, right? It's not her fault that she could have a baby. But you picture this woman, right? This woman is out there in the desert with her son all alone, right? A stranger out there. And the angel of the Lord meets her. The Lord Jesus himself meets her out there. And I love the two questions he asks her, right? And I think it's the question that God is asking each one of us today. Each one of us who have never put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he says, hey, Hagar, where are you coming from? Where are you going? Right? Listen, I don't know where you're coming from this morning. Okay? I don't know where you're going. Okay? That's the question God asks each and every one of us. And he asks her, he says, where, where are you coming from? Where are you going? And she says, well, my, my mistress uh, Sarah has kicked me out. And, and the Lord Jesus says, listen, go back to her. Go back, submit yourself to her. Go back to her. But what she says is an amazing thing, right? It says, she then called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? She understood. you imagine that? The Lord Jesus saw her, even in the middle of a desert, okay, all alone. He saw her, and she recognized that, that he's the God who sees. Listen, God not only thought of you, right? God saw you as well. And God saw your need. He saw what you needed. In fact, Luke chapter 19 says this. It says, the Son of Man came to save those which were lost, right? No, he came to seek and to save those who were lost. We all know the, the stories there of the, the sheep and the lost coin, right? The prodigal son, right? Pictures of our Savior, the Lord. He is seeking those who are lost. He's concerned with those who have a need. He's looking. He's, he's seeing where they're at. So not only, as I think of this idea of a God reconciling man to himself, he not only thought of us, and he not only sought us, but praise God this morning, he bought us. He bought us. See, in order for us to be restored, in order for us to be reconciled, a price had to be paid. It had to be. You were there lost in the slave market of sin, and he was willing to enter into that slave market of sin, and here it says, through his son, buy you back. God bought you. There was some time, my sons and I, we were thinking about getting this game called Spike Ball. It was popular. Right? Everybody's talking about this game, Spike Ball. And everywhere we went, we'd go down to Brantford Point, there were people playing Spike Ball. You know? I get a text from my case one day asking me about Spike Ball. And I'm like, man. You know, we would think about Spike Ball all the time. And then there came a time where I was, I was looking at Spike Ball. I was, I was scrolling through, and I was like, oh, I saw that it was a lot of money, Spike Ball, <laughs> you know. Um, but 
There had to come a point, right, if I wanted spike ball, <laughs> I had to buy it. I had to buy it. Lord God, he, he thought of me, and he saw my need, and he said, I, I'm going to do something about it. And we all know the tremendous price that it cost him, his own son. Jesus Christ had to become a man, right? Jesus Christ had to walk this earth and suffer at the hands of men, go through unnecessary humiliation, right, and ultimately be nailed to a cross because God knew that was the only way that we could be friends again, that we could be restored and we could have that relationship again. It's the only way. God reconciled me to himself. I was an enemy. I was a stranger. I was lost. I was helpless. I was without strength. I was hopeless. And in this portion that we read here, in verse 18, he says he did it through Christ. And in verse 19, he did it in Christ. That's how God did it. He he bought me with the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I love uh, the NIV version here, verse 18, where it says, Now all things are of God. Uh, NIV translates it, All this is from God. You had nothing to do with this. Right? All this was from God. Right? But even as I say that, right, even as we look at the gospel and we look at how the cross restored us, right, there's something else here that we see. We see here over and over that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has given us the word of reconciliation. We are now ambassadors for Christ. What what is Paul trying to say here? He said, listen, the cross doesn't just restore you. The cross readies you. You think back of when you got saved. You think about that moment when you realize that, wow, there's a God who thinks of me. There's a God who sees me. There's a God who loves me. And he bought me with the precious blood of his son. If you think back of how that all happened, you remember? God used his ambassadors to show you all that. Right? Think back. Who was it? Right? Was it someone who just happened to randomly witness to you that day? Was it a family member who had already been saved and they were praying for you and they wanted you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Was it something you watched on TV or you heard on the radio? But God used someone. He gave someone the word of reconciliation. He used someone in the ministry of reconciliation. And now you are saved as a result of that. Now listen, remember, as we just said, right? This is from God. These are things that God is doing. But it is amazing, right, that God would allow people to be a part of this. we got to remember that, that the gospel is what God has done, but also he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so even just take those, those few points, right? As we think about that God thought of you, right? How often do we think of others? How often do we think, listen, you know what? The overwhelming need of people around us.
And it broke my heart to hear 15-year-old Lizzie, to hear how she gets to Pine Bush Bible Camp. Her mom just signed her up for a camp, didn't care what it was. I asked Lizzie, I said, listen, have you ever heard of Jesus before? She goes, no. I said, do your parents have any beliefs? Like, do you guys have any kind of religion in your home? She goes, no. In fact, we come to learn that she thought she was coming just the third session. Her mom signed her up for four weeks and didn't tell her. Because her mom doesn't want her to be home. Just want to send her off somewhere. She doesn't have to be bothered with her for the summer. And yet Lizzie heard that she had a need. And she heard that Jesus provided a way for her to be saved. And yet, she's still lost. Do our hearts break for those who are going to hell? For those who have their needs still unmet? Are my thoughts directed towards those people? Or are they just on myself? Do we even seek them out? You know, God sought you. Like, do we just wait for someone to come sit next to us and say, hey, listen, how can I be saved? <laughs> or are we seeking those who are lost? Are we taking every second, every amount of energy that we can to seek out those who are lost? And then, <laughs> when we see them, we find those who are lost, are we willing to do something about them? Now, again, knowing that it's God that does these things, but are we willing to give a word of reconciliation? Are we willing to fulfill this call, this ministry of reconciliation? I think our, our, our tendency is not to do this. Right? Our fallen condition is that we, we, we're not programmed this way. I'll try to illustrate to you in this way. Is, and I asked my wife if I could use this as an illustration. She gave me permission. Uh, our first child uh, with Lydia. There came a night, uh, 10 days after she was due, which is usually the case with our children, uh, where Amy started to feel uncomfortable. And uh, so that evening, we, uh, we went through the night there, and, and, and Amy's contractions were getting worse, and uh, we didn't sleep that night, that whole night. Um, and uh, come morning time, she had called uh, the doctor's office, and they allowed us to come in that morning. They checked her out. I want to say she was three centimeters dilated, and uh, they said, listen, they said, you've been up all night. They said, uh, why don't you just come into the hospital? We'll induce you, um, or we'll, we'll allow you to get to the next stage here in the hospital. So they said, or you can, if you want, go home. And, and get to that next stage on your own. So I was like, oh, man, all right, we can go to the hospital. And Amy's like, no, no, we'll go home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's funny, I was on, on, the way, on the way home, one in the middle of her contractions. She was like, what was I thinking? But we got home. It was in the morning sometime. All day there, into the afternoon, she suffered. <laughs> and uh, it got to a point where she said, John, I don't want to feel one more thing. <laughs> so we called them up. They said, meet us at the hospital. We, we get to the hospital. Again, I don't know how many centimeters it was. She was pretty, pretty ready to go. And uh, 
Make a long story short, she gets to the point where it, it's time to push. And, uh, you know, with your first child, at least I, I've heard those, that with the first child, the, the labor is difficult. And uh, just, again, picture my wife, just the pain and the agony and, and this, this whole unknown, right? Um, and, and we get to a point, and I apologize for um, the picture here, but we get to the point where the baby crowns. And uh, the midwife said something funny. She said, Amy, touch the baby's head. I said, my, my wife's having a really difficult time pushing. Labor's really tough. And uh, the midwife said, Amy, just trust me, just touch the baby's head. And so as Amy reached down and touched uh, the crown of that baby's head, there's my wife's words. She goes, oh, that's right. She goes, I hadn't thought of you until now. That whole time, right, which is fine, right? She was consumed with herself. She was consumed with the pain and consumed with getting through this. And it was in that moment she realized, oh, that's right. There's someone else that I should be thinking about. I wish I could tell you that at that moment it got easier. It probably didn't. But for her in that moment, she realized, oh, man, my thoughts were consumed with myself. And I forgot about you. Isn't that what we do? Right? We have so many pains and struggles in this life, so many things that are overwhelming to us that we sometimes forget, listen, there are people out there overwhelming needs. And our, our problem is we're so consumed with ourselves and we just need to take a moment and maybe God can use his word this morning to speak to each one of us is that, listen, there's someone else to think about. There's a dying world. How is it, how can we be ambassadors for Jesus Christ? God has given us a word of reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation. I want to try, if we can, illustrate it uh, with a story here in John. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 6. I'm running short on time here already, so I'm going to trust that you know the the story of the feeding of the 5,000. If not, you know, please uh, look at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, but we know the story is um, Jesus goes uh, in a boat uh, crossing the Sea of Galilee, and all these people follow him. So they get to the other side. All we know is that there's 5,000 men. Uh, There very well could be 20,000 people there. And evenings come. And they're all hungry. And uh, we know the story of how uh, Jesus ends up feeding all of them. But um, I think this is important when we understand the gospel, that not only does the cross restore us, 
uh, but it readies us. And we and, and this idea that listen, this is this is God's doing. This is what God is doing. Is um, I think this illustrates for us here the story that God uses inadequate people, okay, who surrender what they have to Him to meet the overwhelming needs of others. God can actually use you and I, inadequate people, right? If we're willing to surrender what we have to meet the overwhelming needs of others. Listen, you have all these people here. Jesus could have called manna down to flow from heaven, right? Could have done it, right? He didn't do that. Instead, in this story, he asks Philip. He says, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? (laughs) Imagine that 20,000 people. Philip, where are we going to buy these guys bread, right? In fact, in Mark chapter 6, he tells his disciples, give them something to eat, right? 20,000 people, give or take, right? And so why does Jesus say this? I think he's shown Philip and he's shown the other disciples their woeful inadequacy to meet the need. There's no way. They're completely inadequate to meet that need. But he also, I believe, he does this to show them his all-sufficiency. So I think there's four lessons in this story, and I think I hope I can bring this together with the, the idea of, you know, uh, this ministry of reconciliation that we've been given um, and sharing the gospel, is that one, you see in this story, one of the lessons that is learned here is that people are deficient. People are needy. You know, these people that had come, they, many of them, they just wanted to see a trick. You know, they heard Jesus and healed people, and they just want to see some other people get healed. Some of them probably very well had sicknesses of their own, and they're there to, to be healed as well. Um, not to mention the fact that all these people are now hungry. You know, they want something to eat. Right? But, but I think that the thing is that these people are needy. Right? They're deficient. Right? I, I think it's only when people see how spiritually needy they are that they will cry out to Jesus to save them. And I think that we need to recognize that there is a world out there who is deficient. They're extremely needy. Um, One of the things I I did this week at camp was I was teaching the kids about the cities of refuge. Um, Cities of refuge uh, is about if you accidentally killed someone in the land of Canaan where God had brought you, um, and you didn't do it intentionally, you just did it accidentally, there were cities that you could flee to so that the relative or the, the family member or whoever the friend of the person you killed accidentally, out of rage and revenge, they don't kill you, right? So you get to these cities of refuge and you're able to wait there until you can, the congregation can hear what happened and, and so on. Um, but one of the great things that pictures there is that the manslayer was guilty, even though it was an accident, incidental, if, if he at any point was outside the limits of the city of refuge and the avenger of blood killed him, the avenger of blood wasn't guilty. Right? He didn't understand that even though it was unintentional, even though it was accidental, he was guilty. That's one of the things we try to share with the campus this week, and it's one that we need to understand that we're living in a world where people are guilty. They're deficient. There's a need there. There's a relationship that needs to be reconciled, needs to be restored. But not only that, what we see here in this story is that the Lord's people are insufficient in themselves to meet people's needs. 
we are completely insufficient to meet people's needs. I think that's important for us to recognize. Not only that people are deficient, they are needy, but that we ourselves are insufficient. You see what Philip does here? When Jesus says, hey, listen, you know, go buy something for them, Philip did the numbers without even considering the Lord's power, and he concluded with business-like efficiency. He says, all right, eight-month salary, and that's what it is. 200 denarii was about eight-month salary. Right? He's saying eight-month salary of a working man is not sufficient for each one even to get a little. Right? you got over 5,000 people here. He's doing the math. He's like, Lord, I, even if we have eight-month salary and everybody just gets a little bit, it's not enough. Right? And the problem was they didn't even have 200 denarii. Right? But even if they did, it wasn't enough. Right? And even if they had more, let's say they had more than 200 denarii, where are they going to go to buy it? Right? There's no supermarkets, right, just down the road that had enough to feed 20,000 hungry people. They were completely insufficient to meet the overwhelming needs of those people at that time. How often, right, do we throw up our hands and we conclude that we can't do something for the Lord? Because we calculate based on our own inadequate resources, just as Philip did. And here's this lad, right? Here's a lad with five barley loaves and two fish. What does the disciples say? What are these for so many people? What are these? So listen, we need to understand that people are deficient, people are needy, but the Lord's people are completely insufficient to meet the overwhelming needs of people. Why is that important? Well, I think what Christ wanted to show here is the third point, is that Jesus Christ is all-sufficient to meet people's overwhelming needs. You see, John here brings out Christ's all-sufficiency in at least five ways he does here. Right? He brings out that Christ is all-sufficient. One, Christ is in control of the whole situation. Right? The Bible tells us here in this story that um, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. <laughs> Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But he said this to them just to test them. Right? So we need to understand that Christ is in control of every situation. I think we need to understand that Christ is more concerned for needy people than we are. He was concerned about these people. He wanted them to get something to eat. The disciples, right? Well, we'll get to that. Third point is Christ is not limited by our inadequate resources. Right? It's interesting, right? When Philip came up with the whole 200 denarii estimate. Right? Jesus didn't say, okay, go take a collection from the crowd and see how much we get. No. Nope. When Andrew offers his apology, when he says, but what are these for so many people? Jesus didn't say, you know what, I bet there's more food out there in the crowd. Let's get everyone to share. Jesus wasn't limited in any way by this meager lunch. At all. Listen, he is not limited today by the fact that we don't have enough money, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough talent to get the gospel to a needy world. That doesn't limit Jesus. The fourth point here I think John makes in the fact that Jesus is all sufficient is Christ doesn't just barely meet needs, does he? Right? He abundantly supplies all that we want. Right? He's, he's not out to just barely meet the needs of, of people. 
right? We talk about this, right? Paul was so excited that not only did he get receive the ministry, right, uh, of the gospel, but the fact that he could preach the riches of Christ. He thought that was awesome to be able to tell the world, listen, you don't understand the riches of Jesus Christ. Jesus here shows that he abundantly supplies all that we want. John draws an interesting contrast here, right? Right here you got Philip saying for everyone to receive just a little, right? He says, hey, listen, even if we had 200 denarii, that's not enough for everyone just to receive a little. And then Andrew, of course, says, but what is this? What's five loaves and two fish for all these people, right? What does Jesus say to them when they're distributing it? He says, give them as much as they want. (laughs) He doesn't say, hey, guys, listen, let's pray. Make sure everybody takes three first. That's what we do in my family. In my family, everybody's got to just take one the first time. Make sure there's enough, you know, to get around. Jesus says, no, no. Hand out, give them as much as they want. They can have whatever they want. And then lastly, Christ is sufficient not only for physical needs, but especially for spiritual needs. You know, what's interesting is in this portion, with Jesus feeding the 5,000, in verse 35 of this chapter, what does Jesus claim to be? I am the bread of life. See, this is really a picture of Jesus Christ. Right? That Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet the needs of the world. Even though, listen, people have a tremendous deficiency, right? There's a tremendous need there. And even though we are completely insufficient to meet that need, Jesus Christ is all sufficient to meet the needs of the world we live in. The last point here is Christ is efficient, right? In meeting the needs of people through his inadequate people who yield their inadequate resources to him. Did you catch that? For whatever reason, God has chosen to use inadequate people with inadequate resources to meet an overwhelming need in this world. That's what God decided to do. He's given you and I the ministry of reconciliation. He's given you and I the word of reconciliation. That's what the gospel is. He has made you and I ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Someone asked Robert Morrison, uh, he was a missionary to China. They said, do you really expect to make an impact on that great land? (laughs) He says, no, sir, but I expect God to. (laughs) Hudson Taylor, who also went to China as well, he said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. I was just uh, reading a post from Melinda DeLeon, uh, and she was uh, posed, posed, posed with this question. She said it's been challenging for her, and I'll, uh, I'll read it to you. It says this, Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Listen. God thought of you, God sought you, God bought you. And he has given us now this ministry of reconciliation, right? Are we thinking of the world in which we live in? Are we considering the great need that is around us right here in North Brantford? Or are we just thinking of ourselves? And what are we doing? What are we doing to seek those who have this need, right? And when we seek them out, what are we doing as far as obeying that call, right? 
and taking action for the Lord. But listen, even as I say all that, right, I think that John here illustrates beautiful, beautiful for us is that you are not adequate to meet that need. Right? It, this is God's doing. I love here what, what uh, Paul says here, right? That this, right, is God's doing, right? All this is from God. When we consider all that Christ did for us, man, it should motivate us. Motivate us. When you consider the sufficiency of Christ, right? Even though we're inadequate, even though we have inadequate resources, God is still meeting the overwhelming needs of others through his gospel. Let's, uh, what we're going to do today is I'm going to close in prayer, and we're going to have our corporate prayer. And for those who are usually with us, it's not going to be your typical um, items up there. What I'd like to do if we can, we encourage you in the next 15 minutes, all of us, to pray corporately. Um, and I want to pray for some of these things. And if some of the men here, if you want to pray audibly for some of these things, you're welcome to do so under uh, this time. But we're just going to take 15 minutes. I'm going to close that time. But I really want us to pray about this because, listen, <laughs> It's one thing to read it. It's one thing for me to preach on it. It's one thing for you right now to maybe be convicted and say, yes, amen. Man, we can't do anything without prayer. And we really need to um, rely on the Lord um, to really open our, our eyes, to renew our minds, right, um, to, to ready our hands uh, for what he has given us in this ministry of reconciliation. So, our Father, I thank you again uh, for your word. Lord God, uh, we're so thankful for the all-sufficiency of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.